0: Hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic. Chapter 3, The Gracchi and the Popular Will. I appreciate you all for sticking through the first two chapters of Roman history before this point. It hasn't really been the podcast as I advertised it, of power players akin to Game of Thrones, engaging in war, assassination, and love affairs, all in the pursuit of power. But our first two episodes were important. It was about learning and understanding Roman society and Roman government. It's important to understand how competitive Roman politicians were in a quest for arctoritas, and the wars they waged were a way to gain it. It's important to understand that while new magistrates were elected every year so power couldn't be held by one person forever, like a king, usually Only the wealthy family members of famous families had any chance of getting to shape politics as a magistrate or as a senator. It's important to understand that the Republic was built on a broken foundation, and if it could not be mended, it would be doomed to fail. So in this episode, this is where the fun begins, and our story starts in earnest. The year is 133 BCE. The Roman Republic is vast and seemingly invincible. It's been some time since an enemy such as Hannibal seriously challenged the survival of the Republic, and Rome has expanded tremendously. Yet for all the power and riches, tension brews. Corruption by governors is common in the provinces, and generals lack oversight. Another issue in ancient Rome, which continues to be an issue today, is that common people's livelihoods were being trampled upon by the whims of the rich and powerful. The city of Rome was becoming crowded with unemployed people who could not find work elsewhere in the Republic. But to the upper-class Roman politicians, these matters didn't affect them so much. They had money, they had jobs. What they wanted was to keep playing the game politicians had always played, to have greater auctoritas than their peers. They could still win auctoritas and the love of the people by helping them out and serving the republic. The optimal way to do this was by winning fame and acclaim from a victorious war. But in 133 BCE, a new politician burst onto the scene. He wasn't going to play by the old, established rules. He was bending the rules, and would win *auctoritas* in a bold new way, and hundreds of Romans were going to be killed for it. Our essential question to keep in mind this episode is, who are the populares, who are the optimates, and how do they seek to gain power in *auctoritas*? Be noted, there is mention of suicide this episode. Enter Tiberius Sempranius Gracchus, a man from a wealthy family who was just elected as one of ten of Rome's tribunes. As a tribune, Tiberius Gracchus was sacrosanct. No touching! His body never to be harmed, and his life never endangered. As a tribune, it was Tiberius Gracchus's duty to protect the Roman people from the arbitrary and evil acts of corrupt politicians. Tribunes could veto proposed laws from magistrates, including from the highest office of consul, to protect Romans from corruption. Tiberius had one year as tribune, and he was going to go after his fellow aristocrats. Tiberius believed that the Roman 1%, and their vast amount of property, was damaging the common Roman citizen, and he was going to change that. Tiberius said that aristocrats would buy land from under family farms. Those farmers who had labored for generations to feed the Republic were now jobless and displaced, and had come to Rome looking for work. Meanwhile, the fields these noble farmers had worked were now worked by an aristocrat's slaves, who were paid nothing for their labor, making the 1% even richer. Tiberius made a populist argument, one that appealed to the common man. He would have these excess lands bought from the aristocrats and would be redistributed to poor citizens so they could have work and a home. Tiberius had a few supporters in the Senate, but many senators were this 1% and would stand to lose a lot of land and income if this proposed law passed. Thus, the majority of the Senate opposed Tiberius and his proposed law failed. The Senate had other reasons not to support Tiberius. You can't say Tiberius's populist measures were totally virtuous. Tiberius Gracchus himself had quite the aristocratic pedigree, from a family with much auctoritas. His living father had been consul not once, but twice, and his grandfather was the famous Scipio Africanus who had defeated Hannibal. It wasn't even totally factual to say that the Roman 1% was making all this money. Italian communities also farmed this land, land that would suddenly disappear from them if Tiberius got his way. Furthermore, Roman politicians feared what may come should Tiberius prove successful. Tiberius's plan was to have himself, his father, and his brother Gaius Gracchus in charge of giving land to thousands of poor citizens. The Gracchi family would not gain celebrity from warfare, but generosity. The political capital and notoriety of the Gracchi family would skyrocket by exploiting the direct wants of the average Roman. Yes. Tiberius Gracchus' proposal could theoretically improve the lives of many impoverished Romans, but it would also make him dominant in Roman politics. Thus, the Senate did not approve of the Tribune's plan. As such, Tiberius decided if the Senate would not support him, then perhaps the Roman people would. Shouldn't the people of the Republic get to decide what would happen when the Republic was supposed to represent their interests? Normally, if the Senate did not support a proposal, it died. However, Tiberius Gracchus boldly asserted that the Republic was controlled by its citizens, whose will would not be stifled by the decision of 300 rich senators. Tiberius was giving power to you, the people. While bypassing the Senate was very rare, it was not unprecedented, which was good enough for Tiberius. If the people supported him, they would bypass the Senate's will and take land back from the 1% so they could have a job and a home. What was unprecedented was how Tiberius dealt with his fellow tribune, Marcus Octavius. Marcus Octavius did not want to see Tiberius' proposal enacted, and didn't want it brought to a vote before the people, who would certainly pass it. As a tribune, Marcus Octavius could veto Tiberius' action, stopping him from allowing the people to directly vote. To defend his proposal and his actions, Tiberius made the unprecedented move of allowing Roman citizens to vote Marcus Octavius out of the tribuneship. Marcus Octavius was trying to obstruct the popular will, so he was voted out by the popular will. Tiberius told Marcus Octavius, You have no power here! No longer a tribune, he could no longer veto Tiberius. Tiberius' popular proposal was voted on by the people who supported it and allowed it to become law. I love democracy. I love the republic. Roman citizens, led by Tiberius, had now voted an opposing magistrate out of office and passed his proposal. Now, Tiberius's only obstacle was getting the money to buy this land from the 1% so it could be redistributed to Rome's poor. The Senate, whose authority was now twice overpowered by Tiberius's manipulation, did not allocate funds. Tiberius's relations to the famous Scipios did not help him here. Opposition to him was led by Publius Scipio Nasica. However, Tiberius wasn't dead in the water yet. As you may recall in our first episode, 133 BCE also marked the death of the king of Pergamon. The king willed the entirety of his rich kingdom to Rome. For Tiberius, That was a freebie. Tiberius seized the opportunity and supported the idea of absorbing the rich kingdom so he could use the influx of cash to finance his plan. Again, this proposal to accept the kingdom was voted on by Roman citizens and again... Tiberius' desires were passed by the popular vote. Tiberius Gracchus began the faction known as the Populares. The Populares were using a radical new way to gain power. Rather than playing the traditional game of Roman politics, Tiberius would bend the rules to his will. Not backing down and appealing to the common man made him a very popular figure and would propel his career in Roman politics for decades to come. The faction opposing Gracchus were the optimates. The Optimates wanted to keep playing the same game, and didn't like how Tiberius was bending the rules and traditional politics. Most politicians were Optimates, because they wanted their power to outweigh the people's power. They had been benefiting under the current system for centuries, and a popularis like Tiberius Gracchus, rallying the people's support to gain power in autoritas, was pulling the rug out from under them. Tiberius's refusal to allow his land bill to be killed by the Senate now thrice violated traditional politics. Tiberius argued that the power of the Republic belonged to its people, who would ultimately decide policy for themselves, even if it violated the Senate's will. While Tiberius Gracchus's populist measures were meant to help the people, the ulterior motive was clearly to gain their support and advance his career in auctoritas. However, Tiberius's year as tribune was at its end. Tiberius wanted to be re-elected as tribune, so his land reforms wouldn't be stifled when he was out of power. Romans were not keen to consecutive re-elections, as they feared power being vested too much in one person. No one had been re-elected tribune for 300 years previous to Tiberius. All the same, Tiberius garnered support from the citizens for his re-election, and enraged Scipio Nasica led his fellow Optimate senators out of the Senate House to break up a rally Tiberius was holding. There, the Optimates met the populares. Violence broke out, and in the resulting riot, Scipio Nasica and his Optimus supporters beat Tiberius and 300 of his populares supporters to death with pieces of the bench they were sitting on. Rome's populist champion was dead. The bodies of Tiberius and his supporters were thrown in the Tiber River. Little harm became the killers who had undeniably killed a sacrosanct tribune, let alone hundreds of citizens. Scipio Nasica was sent out of Rome to Pergamon in the east to oversee the absorption of lands Rome had just acquired. Yet in the end, Tiberius and the Roman people who supported him got what they wanted. The Senate moved through with his land reform bill and accepted Pergamon. For the first time in Roman politics, a dispute was resolved not with political compromise, but straight murder. It would not be the last. Gaius Sempronius Gracchus was just 22 when his brother was killed. It would be Gaius, his father, and Gaius' father-in-law who would execute Tiberius's plan, redistributing lands held by the 1% to many poor Roman citizens. As Gaius toured the Italian peninsula, he heard the grievances of its inhabitants. Much of the land Gaius gave to Romans did not belong to a few rich aristocrats, as Tiberius had advertised, but to Italian communities who were now losing a source of income. Besides knowing the pains of Italian communities, Gaius would also serve as a quaestor, another type of magistrate, in the province of Sardinia. Primarily concerned with finances, he had an idea of how the Roman provinces operated, saw corruption, and formed ideas to improve life in the provinces. John's the chance Gaius Tribune to grow to show his quality. Gaius Gracchus would be the next great popularis champion. Gaius was elected Tribune in one twenty three B C E. More experienced, perhaps more wise and definitely more wary of the consequences for upsetting a majority of senators than his brother was. Still, Gaius Gracchus did not tread lightly as he followed in his brother's popularis footsteps, and passed even more radical laws than Tiberius. Gaius shared his brother's view that the Republic was controlled by its citizens, not the Senate. More cynically, perhaps he just believed the citizens were more easily manipulated than the Senate. Tiberius had only brought his proposals to the people when the Senate refused to support it. Gaius skipped bringing ideas to the Senate altogether and began with the people. Gaius spent his year as tribune passing many laws that would benefit a common citizen. A few examples include a law subsidizing the price of grain, so that fluctuations in price would stabilize, and another pass so that soldiers wouldn't have to pay for their own clothing, but the Republic's treasury would. In 122 BCE, Gaius managed to get himself re-elected to the Tribunate without getting himself killed. He threw his clout behind a few proposals from fellow tribunes. One was the establishment of colonies in Corinth and Carthage. But this year, Gaius proposed a real doozy, the most radical idea yet, extending citizenship to non-Romans. Gaius wanted to give Latin peoples full citizenship and give Italians what had been advanced Latin rights. Romans, Latins, and Italians all shared the Italian peninsula and culturally were fairly similar. Gaius's reason was that many of these people had lost land to Tiberius' land reform and had no one in Rome to stand up for them. So, Gaius proposed that Latins be made full Roman citizens who could vote and that Italians be given what were previously Latin rights. Latins had enjoyed slightly more privileges than the average citizen without a vote, such as the right to marry full Roman citizens. The proposal to expand rights of citizens without a vote would have made past conquerors turn in their graves. Gaius' idea was political suicide, and Romans at the top and bottom of society hated the idea. UNACCEPTABLE! Optimate politicians didn't want Latins to be able to vote for Latins who would become powerful politicians to compete with. Common Roman citizens reasoned that if all Latins could suddenly vote, the votes of true Roman citizens would count less. Despite Gaius trying to improve the lives of people in the Republic, the popular vote did not pass. Gaius was probably upset that his efforts to improve the lives of the downtrodden were not supported, even by lower-class Romans. Why you me? I'm right! While Gaius still had a following, his popularity among the common Roman people was humbled. But 121 BCE was a new year with new possibilities. Unfortunately for Gaius Gracchus, one of the new consuls, Lucius Opimius, was an optimate, Opimius wanted to repeal the establishment of a colony in Carthage. This was an idea that Gaius had supported. Royally affronted, Gaius took to the streets with thousands of still loyal supporters to decry the measure. But Gaius assembling thousands of people in protest was illegal. While sources differ, during Gaius's contentious demonstration, someone was killed, either one of his supporters or a supporter of Consul Opimius. Gaius and his group retreated to the Aventine Hill, as the city started to turn on them. As Gaius and his supporters took refuge and regrouped, Consul Epimius and the majority Optimate Senate passed the Senatus Consultum Ultimum, the final act. If the final act sounds ominous to you, it was terrifying for Gaius Gracchus. The Senate gave Consul Epimius the authority to do whatever was necessary to protect the Republic. The Optimates labeled Gaius and his 3,000 populares as a threat to the Republic and legally gave themselves the power to kill them. For Gaius's actions, he had been officially labeled a disturber of the peace. Mm -hmm. As put by Dr. David Potter, the final act is significant because it allowed the dominant faction within the Senate to use force against rivals without having to get the people as a whole to agree that such a step was necessary and to provide political cover to magistrates who acted this way. In this case, since the Optimate faction was the majority of the Senate, that majority voted it would be legal to execute the populares. Calls for negotiation were denied, and Opimius's soldiers and archers attacked Gaius and his thousands of supporters. Gaius was either killed fighting or committed suicide. The man who gave Gaius's severed head to Opimius was given its weight in gold. Gaius, Gracchus, and up to 3,000 of his supporters were dead at the hands of the Ottoman Senate. When Tiberius first changed the game, the optimates killed him in hundreds for bending the rules. When his brother Gaius took up the mantle, the ultimate Senate now killed thousands. Also, they didn't have to change their traditional rules, their traditional laws, their traditional game, and their traditional hold on power. The Gracchi brothers were dead, and no champion of the popular will immediately followed. Their supporters would call them populist heroes and reformers, dedicated to solving issues within the republic for the benefit of its citizens. Their detractors would call them ambitious, who manipulated the common people by passing popular policies to increase their own popularity and power and threaten to undo the republic should their power grow unchecked. If you were getting too powerful and you were getting too popular, then it's only righteous that... Get what you deserve! (laughs) While unprecedented violence had occurred, the republic was now safe. The villainous Gracchi brothers who would have overthrown it were dead at the hands of Rome's noble aristocracy. The Optimates had the reins on the Republic again, and the game could continue without disruption. The death of the Gracchi was a warning to anyone who would put proposals to the people without the approval of the Senate. The Senate's will would not be usurped by a popular vote again. Everything was returning to normal, and wealthy aristocrats in power returned to exploiting the Republic's institutions for their gain. They undid Tiberius's land law that didn't allow people to sell the land that they had bought. By undoing this, the wealthy were once again free to use their fortunes to buy out land from under poor farmers who just got it. In less than 20 years, the majority of the Gracchi's work for the common Roman was undone. Despite strengthening their hold on power, the Senate and Roman leadership during this period was not a healthy body. Power was concentrating in increasingly few people, To be able to vote to create laws, only 100 out of 300 senators had to be present, suggesting many senators didn't even go. The Republic had also recently been dealt a string of defeats. Victory was a key part of the Roman identity and indicated a thriving Republic. Yet Rome was defeated by the Scordisci tribe in 119 and 114, thrice in southern France in 113, 108, and 107, and King Jugurtha would beat a Roman army in Numidia in 110. The Optimate Senate had murdered thousands of Romans to prove they were in charge of the Republic, but confidence that the Optimates could effectively lead the Republic was shaken. Our essential question this episode was, who are the populares, who are the Optimates, and how did they seek to gain power in auctoritas? Go ahead and pause to think of your answer if you would like. The Populares were more radical politicians like Tiberius and Gaius Gracchus. Their strategy to gain power in auctoritas was to appeal to common Romans and pass laws that were popular to them. By making popular laws, Populares themselves would gain the favor by the people, thereby increasing their power and auctoritas. Populares argued that the power to dictate the Republic's policies belonged to its citizens, not the Senate. This was a new strategy in the game to gain auctoritas. While theoretically passing laws that would help Romans, a popularis increased his own auctoritas this way. At the other end, the Optimates were traditional Roman politicians, who essentially wanted to keep playing the same game, with the same rules. Optimates tended to be from rich, established families, and didn't want to change the system that was working for them. They, as elected magistrates and unelected senators, wanted to be able to dictate what happened to the Republic, and not have the Roman masses dictate what happened to them. They wanted to hold power to serve their interests, and were concerned what the people would do if the power was in their hands. By killing the Gracchi, the Optimates won this round. However, in the years following, they would make a mess of the Republic, and confidence in their leadership was shaken. It would take a hero to make right these woes, a man who could fix a corrupt government led by self-interested senators, someone undoubtedly popular with the people. The Gracchi were dead, but had introduced a bold new concept. A politician didn't have to play the game Roman aristocrats had always played, and by being a populist that appealed to the common man, a politician could rapidly advance his career and overpower the established aristocracy. A new champion of the people would emerge. Next week, we will discuss the rise of Gaius Marius and Rome's civil war with its eldest allies. You can follow the show on Twitter at dotrrpod, where I tweet out Roman history memes, other educational information, and other fun stuff, I guess. That's dotrrpod on Twitter. Go give it a follow. Or not, it's your life. Feel free to subscribe and rate and review the show on platforms like Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show via email, you can email dotrrpod at gmail.com. That's dotrrpod at gmail.com to contact the show. Thank you for listening. All that said, friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show.